All right. Thanks, guys. Well, here we are, last Sunday at One Central. What do you guys think? Mixed feelings? Uh, but also, yeah. hey, hey, both, <laughs> both, both at the same time. And, uh, you know, I think about where we began, um, here. We've actually been almost three months now, um, here at, at One Central. But it was two months ago at, in the beginning of August that, that, uh, we kind of gathered in here after we had, we thought we were going back to the school and we ended up being in here. And, and remember, I started sharing with you that the time for circling the wagons is over. Remember that? Remember that talk? If you guys were around there, we said, you know, we've been kind of through a rough season as a church and, uh, you know, have, have taken some, some licks, some wounds, some challenges and, uh, and that the time for sulking and pouting and, and fretting was over and that we're going to set our course for a new direction. And that's what we've been doing over the last, uh, two months. And I got to tell you, it's been a great, exciting two months. I think the worship times here have been not just great because we're in a different setting, but I really feel the uh, the heart and compassion of of you of us here together worshiping and really being committed to one and and here's one thing I know those of you that are that are here in this service and the next service I know that you believe in in this church I know that you believe in it because uh, this would have been an easy time to kind of to kind of jump ship and say you know what uh, I'm not sure I'm just going to go to another church that has all these things either ready or done or whatever it lets me know that you guys aren't just here because of the the external things that you understand the community that we are as a church and also the faith that we share and what really binds us together. And I believe that you believe in the vision of what we have and that uh, that you're committed to this. And so I'm, I'm really excited. We we were talking over the last, um, when I began this in, in August, I said there's two main pieces that, that we're going to work on in the next two months and that, that have to do with sort of this revitalization of one. And one was that we need to be internally strong so that we can become outwardly focused again. And we were looking at the internally strong, and that's what these last two months have been about, is really strengthening who we are. I think you've heard in the way that I'm speaking here and, and the things that we're doing, I see Sunday mornings and I have seen them more as like our core nights that we've had in the past, where we're speaking to the body of the church and challenging us as to what God is calling us to do. And over these last several weeks and months, I've also seen our leadership. That's been a big part of how do we really um, get our leadership on board and rebuild our teams, because a big concern of mine uh, for the church as we've been, even as we were approaching our, we had our fifth birthday earlier in the year, in January, I felt like um, I still kind of had the ownership of the church as the founding pastor, that a lot of the ownership was still with me. I know it was, others of us have had different roles, but in a broader sense, I'm going to have to cough here, so excuse me. <coughs> there. Anyway, didn't want didn't to blow everyone away there, so it's kind of rough when you have this right in front of your mouth. Um, and and what I what my prayer has been, and, and I meet uh, I meet almost weekly with with Tim Gunther, who, who many of you guys know, and um, and he's kind of my my mentor and elder in, in my life, and and uh, and I just process a lot of stuff through. We pray about a lot of things, and one of the things I kept telling him is I want to I want to I really feel like the next step for the church is the church has to has to take on ownership. It has to be owned by the church broadly, not just in a few people, but broadly. And, and yet that doesn't mean, you know, we, we abdicate and get rid of the leadership. There's still strong leadership, but it has to be broadly owned. And I've seen that happen over these last several, uh, weeks, especially in this transition. Thanks, Mary. Um, our, our leadership teams have been put together as a transition team, which we've been running. We've had our five, five main leaders over different areas. And, and just to see these teams coming together, organizing, planning, figuring out what's next has been, has been amazing. For example, yesterday, there were um, probably about 10, 11, 12 people here at One Central um, going through the trailer, 
fixing equipment, going through all the tubs. And, and I didn't plan this. I didn't call for this meeting. I was told about this meeting. See, that, that tells me ownership is transferred when somebody says, we're having a meeting. And then their idea was to get here at 6 a.m., some of them. Did you know that? They were here from 6 a.m. to 1 p.m., seven hours. That tells me ownership, okay? And that tells me that, that, that you believe in what's happening here. And again, this wasn't for everybody in the church, so don't feel like you, know, you got left out if you didn't know about it. It was just kind of going through some things. But that, that was a sign for me. Another sign, we've been talking for, for weeks about live love, right? And, and when we had the live love day a few uh, Saturdays ago, I mean, to see 40-plus people here just going out, serving, and excited about it, didn't have to pull teeth to get you guys here to kind of convince you of this thing, ownership. It tells me you're buying and you understand what this is about and that you want to be a part of it and that this is your church. And then uh, we had a team leader training here, not last Friday, but the week before, and to see this entire room filled with tables and teams and team leaders talking about their ministry, what they need to do, what they need to be about. Ownership. That's internal strength. And that's what we need. And that's what we've lacked in, in the past. We've had team leaders. We've had some great leaders. But we've never had a group together at the same time committed to taking their teams where they need to go. And I think that's been a challenge for us. And so now I feel very confident that as we head into phase two, which is going public, right? I mean, this was about getting internally strong. I mean, I'm, I'm not mincing words when I'm talking to you about being aliens. I mean, being different, being set apart, being a spiritual body, what we've been talking about, and really saying we need you serving, we need you giving, we need you on board because we're called on a mission. We're not just called to kind of play church. We're not called to kind of have a program every week. That's Jesus didn't come to start church programs. He, he came to create a body, a church. And if we're going to reach a community, we have to be ready and strong so that as people come and as others like us that have found the church or are finding their way back to church or are seeking God, that there's a place to connect them to, that we understand why we're doing what we're doing, how we're doing it, and that's going to give us the opportunity to grow. And it takes teams and individuals and all of us serving to understand their role and their part. And so internally strong so that we can become outwardly focused. And I, it's been so awesome to see that. And today marks the last day before I really feel like we're going public. I mean, again, this hasn't been a closed meeting here by any means, but I think any time a church kind of meets in a house without really signage or anything like that, I think there's always like this mystery, like, I don't know what goes, what's happening back there, who are these folks? And so um, I, I think it's great that we're heading back you know, into the community. And so this, this Pancake Jam next week is really going to be an opportunity for us to, to get out there and uh, to meet a lot of people and to begin that transition to say, look, we're here and this is what we do here isn't just for a select few. It's for everyone, and we want to open that up. So um, just I'm just excited about where we're heading and where we're going and, and what's, what we're doing. So it relates today, and, I, and I'm going to kind of bring this all full circle um, with this, this idea of aliens. So our last week of aliens. You're foreigners and aliens here. What does it mean? What does it mean to live as an alien on this planet? I mean, you're just not from here then. You're not like the rest of the people. And yet here's the weird thing. You were one of the people. All of us at one point were just like the people that are of the world, are in the world. We didn't, we didn't just arrive from, from outer space, right? We didn't arrive from some spiritual place and, and happen to be different, kind of go, I don't understand humans. I don't, I don't understand why people don't love God. I don't understand why everyone's selfish and greedy and, 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 you know, or whatever. And, and not that everyone's like that, but it's not like we just came from somewhere else. We came from among the world. I mean, when we had that spiritual birth, what we talked about on that first week is how do we become aliens? It's by being born again. It means just like we are with, with everyone else in the world, 
we are now born into a spiritual reality, and all of a sudden we start realizing like we just don't quite fit anymore. I mean, there's something different about us. We don't fit in here. And so we've been looking at at first and second, uh, first Peter, the first two chapters, and and following what does this mean? And and we're looking at this phrase of what does it look like to be in this world, but not of this world? And that's really that conflict. And I think if we don't feel that tension, I don't believe we're following fully. We're not following God fully. If you don't feel a tension about living your faith and living as a follower of Christ in this world and kind of going, I just don't quite fit, I don't believe you're living out your faith. Because I believe anyone that is living out their faith and has truly been born again and is saying, I have Jesus Christ as my cornerstone, what we talked about last week, you're going to start realizing I'm a misfit. I just don't quite fit in here. And then what do we say? Don't blend. All right? This isn't about, again, offending people just by being offensive. But, but when we don't blend in, people start realizing there's something different about you. And this world tries to get you to blend in. Yes, they speak about you know individuality and uniquenesses and whatnot. But the reality is you can have little expressions of that. But you better go with the flow. You better follow everybody else. Otherwise, you're going to be kind of outcast. You're going to be on the side. And as believers, we need to get comfortable in this tension. I remember that as a high schooler, as a junior hire. I remember it in college. I remember it in being in the workforce and in public in different ways. There's just this, there's just this tension. So we want to continue on and, and I want to look at, um, turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 2 and we're going to kind of overlap with some of the, um, some of the scripture we began, we ended with last week, but I want to look at a different angle from it. So 1st Peter chapter 2, it's page 950. And, um, we're going to look at beginning at verse 8. 1st Peter chapter 2. Verse 8. It's talking about Christ here. Remember, He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that will make them fall. So he's talking about Jesus Christ. Again, depending on how you live according to Him, you're either going to build your life on Him or you're going to stub your toe and smash your face because you're going to trip over this, this uh, cornerstone. Then he says, they stumble, people do, because they do not listen to God's Word or obey it. So they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Again, he's building the contrast saying there's people that will stumble over who Christ is. And how do they stumble? They're not listening. They're not obeying. So the things that we understand from God come and go, no, that's not for me. But you, who's he talking about? Remember that spiritual temple. You aliens, you foreigners, you body of Christ, you the church, you're not like that. So we're not like those that don't obey. That must mean we are like people who obey. We are like people who live according to the Word of God. So you are not like that. You are a kingdom of priests. We talked about that last week. God's holy nation, His very own possession. Now just as a review, have you thought about yourselves as priests at all this last week? Last week we talked about you are priests. You're a priesthood. What, what does a priest do? Somebody tell me, what was the role of the priest? So you guys have to start taking notes and paying attention here. <laughs> now what does a priest do? Sacrifices, intercedes, intercedes for the people between, between God and man. Okay? And he does that through sacrifices and other means. But the, but the role is that a priest has this role between God and man. And, and it's not about this guy up here, this pastor or this priest in the Catholic Church or in other capacities. Do you hear, hear Peter saying, you are priests. So your job is to intercede, to stand between God and man, another way to say it, between our Heavenly Father and between this world and the people of this world. So we have a very specific purpose to be the people that kind of help others encounter God. 
And so our job is to help others make that transition. And so we are set apart, holy, in a different way and have this role. But why do we do it? I mean, we've been talking about we're not of this world, but yet we're in it. So that means we don't remove ourselves. We have to engage it. We don't just kind of wall this off, have some kind of secret underground meeting. I mean, fortunately, we're not in a country where we have to do that. Um, there are many places in this world where they have to do that just to be able to gather. But we want to be very public. We want to be in the world. And so it's, a, and here it comes down to the whole thing. Why are we doing this? This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The reason we're doing this is to show others the goodness of God. Again, we're a priest to this world. To show others God. We're here to show them God, the goodness of God. How are they going to see the goodness of God? If it's just somebody preaching? If it's just somebody talking? It's going to be through our words and through our actions. It's got to be through our words and through our actions. Not just your actions. I'm so tired of hearing this whole thing like, just let your actions speak, let your actions speak. At some point, they need to hear your words. Okay? I mean, it's great. Your actions, absolutely. I mean, both have to be there, not one or the other. I mean, I don't tell people about my faith. I don't talk about it. I just live it. I just live it. I just live it. Talk about it at some point. At some point, you have to be able to verbalize it and be able to say, the Scripture says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. But what happens is people will see a contrast, dark and light. I mean, you can't get a a greater contrast than that, right? I mean, here he's speaking of dark and light, and we hear dark and light language all throughout the Bible. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus says, you are the what? The light of the world. Let your light shine before all men. Don't put it under a bushel. Don't put it on a basket. Put it on a hill so it shines out for the whole world to see. Don't just hide out at one central. Don't just hide out in Bible studies. Don't just kind of cuddle together with a few other believers. Get out there. Let the light shine. And there's a stark contrast to a body that's living in light. Because light casts out darkness. Now this is where the offensive part comes in. The dark is offended by light. Do you know that? Because what gets revealed in the darkness? Light reveals the darkness. Scripture talks about that. Even in our own lives, when we have sin, we hide. It's human nature. It began from the first, you know, from Adam and Eve. We sin, we do something bad, we hide. We run away. We don't go to church. We don't talk to others. We kind of think, I'm just kind of retreat. Darkness. That's the equivalent of darkness. You're trying to hold it in. Because we know that under the light of God's Word, the darkness and the ugly things get exposed. But here's the thing, there's freedom in that. There's amazing freedom, and that's forgiveness. And so why we have this fear. But, but God's calling us to be the light in the world, and not just to kind of go to point out other people's darkness. It's just that when you live in the light, people's own conscience and their own life shows a contrast. And I, what, I, what I've been talking about all these, these weeks about being aliens is, is there a contrast between believers and between the church and the world. Because if there isn't, if it's just one and the same thing, then what we're doing is practicing religion. And they have their religion, and this person has their religion, but we're all the same. We just have different religions. If your religion doesn't impact your life, it's useless. I mean, I don't understand when they talk about presidential candidates, and they talk about it doesn't matter what they do in their personal life. It doesn't matter what they believe. Absolutely it matters, unless their faith has no value on them. If your faith in what you believe in doesn't affect your actions, what good is it? It's got to be real. And this is that light and dark contrast. Paul says in the New Testament, when he writes his letters, he says, live as children of the light. We're children of the light. That constant, that constant challenge for us to go into the dark world and to be light in a dark place. We are not like that, he says. We're not like the world. We live differently and 
And last week we looked at Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Because remember, we talked about all the spiritual sacrifices. We're a spiritual temple. What does that mean? We're to offer our own life as a sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 said, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. But the second verse says this, But uh, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So if you're going to live as a sacrifice, if you're going to live as a children of the light, if you're going to be aliens and foreigners here, do not conform. Do not blend. Conforming means I'm going to do what everyone else does. I'm going to be like everyone else does. Do not conform. But what does it say? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a transformation that takes place. We have to renew our mind to think differently, to see God differently, to value things differently. And if we're a church that does not offer an alternative and just offers a place to come and hear a great band, let the kids have be entertained for a little while and hear a message that you know will make you feel good or just kind of you know give you some things to think about. I mean, those are parts of of what we are. We want great worship and great music, but we want it to be authentic worship to God. I mean, I really want us to be a body that literally understands Christ is here and we are worshiping Him. And when we hear God's Word, it is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not just to hear something. And that we're not just entertaining kids, but we're laying a foundation for them on a whole new level. We're not just welcoming people to be kind. We want to love them in. Our hosts and our, our actions, there is light there. There's a difference there that people see there's something going on here. There's light. And like, you know, moths to a flame, maybe that's a bad example because they burn up, <laughs> but people are drawn to light. We, as much as we want to hide, light is inviting. And light, when we come into the light, we find freedom. And so don't conform, but be transformed. This constant battle. And, and, and we're just in this tension. We just have to get comfortable with being in the tension of being God's people in a world that does not value God's people and does not value the foundations of God. Now, we're a Christian nation. Yeah, whatever. Uh, no. We may have had some of those foundations. Some of those values still are, are, are present in some different overarching foundations. But as a nation, as people, we're far from it. And, and, and you're, I'm gonna, you're gonna hear, hear where, where this is going. And, and so, anyway, let's keep, let's keep moving along here. So, you know, we're called to show others the goodness of God. Then we come to this verse 11, right? Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. Remember that. So I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will believe and give honor to God when He comes to judge the world. I mean, it's repeating over and over here. Look, if we're not living among our unbelieving neighbors, we're, we've separated ourselves. What he's acknowledging here is saying, look, you are not of this world. You're foreigners and aliens. The next verse, he says, but when you live among your unbelieving neighbors, how are you supposed to live? In an honorable way. To live honorably. Which means to stand on your values, to stand on your truth, to not shirk away, to not give in, to not conform. But to live the love. To live that out in front of others. Because that begins to point others. So even if they accuse you, they will see your honorable behavior. And what's the result? We're being priests, right? Between God and man. The result? They will believe and give honor to God when He comes to judge the world. We have a role to play. An important function. Now this isn't like being all pious and holy and I live in the light and I have it all together. It's being real people who have had a transformation. And this is why I said we're not coming from some other planet who don't understand this world. We get it. 
This is our world. This is our life. These are people that, that have the same problems, the same challenges, the same addictions, the same kind of marital struggles, the same kind of problems with their kids, the same kind of issues at work. They're facing the same things we are. And so we don't speak as someone who is above it all and outside of it all. We speak from among it and just say, you know what, I found something different. And I'm living on a different foundation. And the world has to see that contrast. If they don't, what good is your faith? Actually, you know, there's, there's some questions that, that I think come out of that, that, that verse. Be careful how you live. Are you careful how you live? And he's saying, be careful how you live. And I'm asking you, are you careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors? I mean, you, you're mindful of it. You're, you're aware that people are, are looking and watching and seeing how you live. Now, this isn't to put on a front and to be a fake, but that we're aware people are watching. Do they see honorable behavior? Or are you one of those folks that kind of goes, they, they sit here in church, but then they post that on Facebook. I saw them, they go to church and they have that one sticker on their car, but I see them cussing out their neighbors. I see them doing whatever. I see the way they treat their kids. I see them, I mean, is there congruency in your life? Is it really a part of who you are? That's honorable behavior. And then does how you live bring honor to God and lead others to faith in Jesus? Because that's what it says. They will see your goodness and they will come to know Christ. Is how you live inviting them? Or do they kind of go, if that's what it means to be a Christian, (laughs) forget about it. Not having that. No. They're... We've got to live differently. Here's what somebody wrote. Here's what somebody wrote many years ago. It was in a book that, that, that I came across, and it's a guy named Robert Rains. Listen to this. The church has accommodated herself to the cultural climate. The church is no longer changing culture, but is being changed by culture. The church is usually content to grow in immediate stature and favor with its immediate environment. The church, has, the church becomes the mouthpiece of the people instead of the voice of God. The church, which is meant to be at tension with the customs and traditions of every culture, changes her protective coloring like a chameleon to suit the environment she is in. And the judgment is clear. The world pays little attention to the church. That's what I'm giving my life to. That, you know, we just hang out with a few people and the world doesn't really, you know, care. It's just for us to have a little safe little huddle, a little underground bunker, you know. No! The church, the, the world has tamed the church. It pays little attention. The world believes it has tamed and domesticated the church. Here's the, the world has pulled the teeth of the church and no longer listens to her enfeebled message. When we're living as light, that doesn't happen. But when we blend in, when there's no contrast, when we're just in the world, part of the world, it's all the same. We just kind of have our little rituals on Sunday. We go to church. Maybe we do a couple personal things. We're not giving anything different. Now there's a personal faith that's lived out there, but there's a power when we come together as a church and when we get going. Now now there's tension in the world and of the world. You know who embodied this perfectly? This is your church Sunday school answer. Everyone get it right. Who embodied this kind of tension perfectly living in the world and not of the world? Starts with a J, ends with an S. <laughs> Alright. Jesus, right? Jesus embodied this perfectly. Jesus wasn't of this world, but yet He was born in human flesh, right? He wasn't of this world, but he was in it. He was fully in it, living in it, engaging in it, living in a very specific culture in a specific time. He didn't just go up in the mountains and hide out in a cave and grow a long beard and talk funny. I don't know what they do up there, but you know, he, he engaged people. And, and, and what's, there's this, this, this word. It's called incarnation. You don't understand what incarnation, carnal is flesh. Carnal is like blood and flesh. And, and incarnation means that the spirit became flesh. 
when Jesus was born, the Spirit became flesh. And what incarnation means is it, it, it becomes tangible. This unknown thing, this unseen thing becomes very tangible. You can touch it. You can feel it. And there's the message translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson. And, and, uh, and, and in this great way that he describes it in John chapter 1 when he talks about the incarnation of Jesus, says the word, you know, the Spirit became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the way it describes John chapter 1. That, 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 that Jesus didn't just stay up there, didn't become flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. Guys, we're moving into the neighborhood. I mean, if that's what it means for us, if He is our example, we've got to move into the neighborhood. Not retreat, not wall off, not be completely out of touch, but to move in and to engage with the world around us. And not just to kind of offer this holy alternative over here, but to really get in it with people, to be in their life, to talk to them, to engage with them. On Sunday to, at the Pancake Jam, to talk to them, to be a part of that, and to really, really engage in that way, moving into the neighborhood. There was a, there was a, a gentleman here that's attended a few times, and I think eventually he'll be moving down here. Um, his name is Larry Chouinard, and he wrote this, this little book called The Way of the Kingdom. He's a professor, and, um, and he talks about and I've been talking about this too, that we need to give the world a vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. Another reality that they see. These people are not perfect. They really don't always get it all together. But they're trying. And they're getting it right some of the time. And they're starting to see, we're starting to see some of it. What are some of these radical differences? Here are some examples. Humility in an age of self-promotion. That, that, this, these would be marks of the church. This would be marks of what, what we live like. Forgiveness in an age of retaliation. Patience in an age of instant gratification. Generosity in an age of greed. Compassion in an age of self-absorption. Love in an age of eroticism. Truthfulness in an age of deceit. Gentleness in an age of competition. Kindness in an age of personal rights. Self-control in an age of addiction. Justice in an age of violence. Peace in an age of conflict. I mean, it's hard to even grasp all these major themes. But I think if we live in this way, the church starts to have teeth again. There's something that people can hold on to. There's something that people can see. And that has to be more than a Sunday morning experience. It has to be a way of living as the community, as the body of Christ, modeled by Jesus. We must enter the fray. We cannot retreat. As we uh, wrap up our time here in um, at One Central, this is our fifth location as a church. Do you realize that? <laughs> so moving into Santan Heights will be our sixth location of doing having worship services in, in six different places already. I'd say that's moving into the neighborhood, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, moving into the neighborhood again. It's you know, churches can build buildings, and, and maybe some day we'll have some worship here. I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but this is such a tangible piece for me. This incarnation. We're in the world, but we're not of it. But we're going to engage it. We're going to move into the neighborhood. We're moving into Santan Heights. We're going to move into a park next Sunday, and we're going to have breakfast with people, and we're going to love them, and we're going to serve them. And then the following Sunday, we're going to go into the school, and we're going to we're going to be in that neighborhood, and we're going to invite people constantly to be a part of this, but to bring them into relationship in the church, and ultimately to bring them to relationship to Christ. So we have to care. We have to engage. We can't just say there's some staff and some people that do that. Incarnation means to get tangible. That means the things that you believe, you can actually touch. You can actually see. People can sink their teeth into that. And I want to just challenge you on a couple fronts. Um, 
very specifically as we have over the weeks, but just like a, like a coach would say, you know, this the preseason's over. I mean, I, this is really the season too, but you know, I mean, we're we're, we're we got game time coming up here, and uh, we've been talking for weeks about you know us getting on board, us uh, being a part of this, and I've seen it, and I've been so encouraged by it. And and there's just a couple specific things um, that that's going to take, and I want to paint a picture for you of of that first week at, at Santan Heights, and and what it's going to take for us to get ready. Because what I want to see is when we get there on that day, and when other people come, this is what I want them to experience. I want them just to be driving near to the school, and they'll start seeing some of our signs, some new some new signs that we have out. They're going to start seeing and, and getting a sense for that. But when they pull up to the school, that it's not just some kind of brick and mortar building, that there's flesh and bone human people, <laughs> human beings outside, aliens. We won't let them know we're aliens. No, but being outside and... Um, and really creating that environment on the outside. There's music. There, the hosts are engaging people. And even if you're not signed up as a host, you hang outside and you welcome people. And you just create a good environment. And we walk into the school in the main hallway, and we actually have a hallway now, a gathering space where people can get information. We can direct them where they need to go. Again, hosts and others are just just, just being inviting, warm, engaging people. The children's check-in is there, and, and, and the children's check-in has people that love kids and acknowledge them as kids and don't just see their check-in task as, Got to check kids in. What's your name? People. People. We're engaging with people. They love kids. Let me take you back to the kids area because it's like a three-mile walk, but it's all in one building, which is cool. No, So we'll walk you back there. And when they arrive at the classroom, the teacher stops what they're doing and goes to the door and greets the, the parent and meets the kids, engages with them, gets the information, looks them in the eye, shakes their hand, whatever it is. And then when the time, and, and then it takes the kids and gets to know their names. Builds relationship. And here's the thing, when it's time to teach the lesson, they've prepared the lesson. Because you know what? Math and science is important, but we are teaching the spiritual foundations for kids. And it's not enough to wing it on a Sunday morning. Do not come and be a children's volunteer and wing your lesson on Sunday morning. I repeat, children's workers back there. No, I'm serious. This is important. And how you prepare and that you care and you're praying for your kids makes all the difference. And that begins, to again, to shine light to show a difference, to be incarnationally there. And then when they walk into the worship area, the band is ready, and, and I'm going to do my best to prepare what I have prepared, and, and people being around, that we create an environment where those of us who are there sitting, we're not just pew fillers, seat fillers, we're worshipers. We are the people that are worshiping together, and we acknowledge those that come around. Please don't let a new person sit five feet from you, and the first time you introduce yourself to them is during the greeting time. Because you know what people think? Nobody cared, but then when they had to, then they turned to me. Oh, I sat two feet from you for the first ten minutes of church, and now it's greeting time. Oh, hi, I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. Meet them when you sit down. I mean, this is your church. This is your, this is your living room. It's your home, whether at the school or not. This is the people factor that we have to understand. When church is over, take the first five minutes and focus on new people. You can stick around longer and talk and meet others, but when you see someone standing alone, Excuse yourself from the person. I'm gonna go, I'll talk with LT and I go, LT, I know you get this. We're gonna talk later, but I wanna catch that person right there. Now, if LT and I have a decent friendship and relationship and we understand it's about other people, hey, no worries. He's not gonna go, he thinks new people are more important. And, uh, he didn't want to talk to me. No. We all gotta understand that. And we just gotta think, this is us living that out. And when we create that kind of environment, right? And hosts and others, you know, it's one of those things we can do great hosting on the front end. But if church is over and worship is over and the hosts and the others are the first ones to the door and we kind of say, hey, don't let the door hit you on the way out. They were so friendly and warm and inviting when we came in, but afterward, nobody gave a hoot. Nobody gave a rip. 
That's the time we interact, we engage. And I'm not saying we do that, but I'm challenging us that this is the kind of environment that is fun to create. This is the kind of the kind of ministry and church that people get excited about, where lives are transformed, where the loving in, the belong piece, really happens. Where the loving up really happens. Where the loving outward in the community really happens. And this isn't just some kind of formula. It's how lives change. And if we are that kind of church, God help us, we can and will continue to make a difference in this community. And finally, besides your serving and besides your giving, there are many opportunities. You know, it's, it's just like the pancake jam when I said when church is over and everybody goes home, there's always a few people left holding the bag or holding the cables or wheeling the equipment or emptying the children's rooms. If we all gave one Sunday a month to say, you know, this is my church, I'm going to clean up, you know, like I ask the girls to clean up the living room when they make a mess, right? I mean, it's our home. When we're done at the school, we've got to empty the whole thing, children's classrooms, everything. I tell you, there's nothing more encouraging than people who stick around and just say, hey, let's get this done, and we knock it out in 45 minutes and we're out of there. It's a great time. Everyone feels great about it or come early to set up. Just say, I'm willing to do it once a month, twice a month, whatever. I'm willing to serve. I can host once a month. I mean, if, if you're not serving in some capacity once a month on a Sunday, you can hand out a worship folder. You can set up. You can tear down. We can teach you how to turn knobs on a soundboard. You can, we can teach you how to check people in. You can teach a lesson. You can tear down. Um, maybe you play an instrument. Maybe you have something to share. You can speak. Get involved. There's nothing greater than being a part of that. And finally, I also just want to challenge us financially. Um, you know, we as a church, we can beat around the bush. We can say things here. We need more money. How's that for clear? Is that clear? Starting next week, we have about 300 bucks a month rent. I mean, 300 bucks a week extra rent. All this, we, we need new equipment. We got to replace some stuff. We got to build some things. We, we, we got new signs. We got, we got stuff that's five, six years old. We got, we got children's curriculum. We want to expand. We need to expand staff to different, to different roles and, and reasons. Right now, we're just keeping it at the level. And so now we can all leave from here and go, man, I sure hope people give more money. Who are the people? It's us. It's not coming from anywhere else. So all I can say is, look, we need you given first every week. Not just when you attend, every week. And here I'm speaking very specifically to one community church. I don't I won't speak this way in two weeks when we've got a lot of new people and first time visitors. I'm speaking to those of you who got you know, we're family here. Every week even if you go on vacation or if you miss a weekend, the church continues. It's a regular part of our budget every single week we give. It's part of our budget. It's a part of how we give and sacrifice. So if you're not giving every week, do what you do and give it every week and immediately that'll help. Some of you need to start giving. Period. You've been mooching off the church forever and ever and ever and ever. Again, I wouldn't say this in public. I'm talking to the family right now. Shoot me. It, it's part of being a follower of Christ. If you can't do more than five bucks a week, a dollar a week, start there. But begin to contribute because it's a part of beginning that process. And if you're giving regularly, thank you. Thank you. And, and maybe this is a time in my, I'll have to have the conversation with my wife. And we have to say, what can we do more? In, in beginning of August, we took a $12,000 pay cut to make this happen. That's why we're also meeting budget. That was an addition to one we took in the beginning of the year. And I, I just, I'm just speaking very bluntly here because I, I don't want to ask you guys to do something we're not willing to do. Because I believe in this thing and I believe we can do this together, but, but, but I hate being hamstrung by finances. All of our team leaders, almost every little purchase have to come to me and say, can we have money for this? We, let's let the money flow. Pancakes cost money too, you know that? <laughs> you know that the stuff, it, and, and so 
it, it, it just has to be tangible. Incarnation means your willingness, that your heart desire. Let's incarnate it into actual giving. <laughs> All right? And, and again, I, I don't want to slap anyone over the head. I just need to say, wherever we're at, everyone equally, we, if we, we all take a step forward from wherever we're at, whether it's $5, $10, $20 a week, getting consistent, getting weekly, it's going to make a huge difference. And I believe it's going to free up some of this, this financial pressure that's going to allow us to just lead and do things well, programs, ministry, and, uh, and see the joy in what comes from that. So just very clear on that. Let's make it incarnational. Let, let's really do that. And, uh, and let's see what God has for us. I mean, this is such an exciting time. I can't wait for next Sunday. I think we're going to have a blast. I, I, think, I think God's up there going, you know, you sing great songs and do worship. I like that kind of worship. But man, when I see my kids out there loving their community, people that aren't going to church on a Sunday, that's why they're able to come to the Pancake Jam, right? <laughs> we're loving them, and we're leading them, and we're trying to show them Christ, and we're doing all this extra work to get into the school. I believe God is saying, thank you for living out your worship in a very tangible way. You know, giving, offering your bodies and lives as a spiritual sacrifice. Let's, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're not of this world, but we are in this world. And I believe, you know, we have such a great hope and a message to offer others. Uh, it, it's great. It's a great time to be a part of One Community Church and a great story is being written. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. I just really want to pray specifically for, um, this coming, these coming two weeks and as we, uh, make this transition. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's a great time for us as a church, and we've had challenges, and God, we, we continue to get up, and uh, we keep going. And th- these last several weeks and months, God, have been uh, some of my favorite in the life of our church, just because we've seen um, such great ownership. So many people stepping up in different roles, saying, I want to be a part of it, serving, being on teams, reaching out into the community. Um, Father, thank you for the way you're moving in us. And I just pray that you would give courage to each person here as they are in their daily lives, moving into their neighborhoods, into their families, workplace, and school. That they would just be confident to live honorably and free uh, to love you and to love others. God, I pray specifically just for our church in this time of transition now as we leave this place next week and just go into the park. I pray for many people to come. God, even if it's just to get a free breakfast and enjoy some time and, and, and for us to maximize those opportunities to meet as many people as we can, to have as many touches as we can, to, to be excited about our church and the mission and the transformation in our lives, to invite them back. And God, when we start at uh, Santan Heights Elementary in just uh, two Sundays, that, uh, that you would bring new people into our midst, and not just because of some mailer, but because we invite folks, because we met them, because we cared. And Father, that we would just put our, our, our best energies and efforts to make it happen in our serving, in our giving, in our time, in our prayers. Father, that there would be a real spiritual move in this community because of our church and other churches in this community. Thank you for the unique call you've given us to be a church for people who don't like church, to live, love um, out amongst our, our, our neighbors. And God, I'm excited about people that will be baptized in weeks to come and have come to, and come to faith in you because of, because of the faithfulness of your people here. And may we all celebrate in that together, whatever our role, whatever our place. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this amazing calling you've given us to be light and hope in in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.